And again, if you've missed any of that, please get the CDs or the DVDs of that because you need to understand what prayer is not. I countered a lot of stuff. And uh, I'm surprised to see this many people here after what I've taught. (laughs) How many of you, this is your first service you've been to. Could I see your hand? Praise God. Well, we had probably this many people last night, so I did run a few off, or maybe they had something else to do. But anyway, it's important that you understand the things that I've said before. What I want to do tonight is talk about what prayer is. And this is going to be so simple, you're going to have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And this is going to be so simple that if you aren't careful, you'll think, oh, it's more to it than this. But I think that this is really going to help you if you can understand and get the heart of what I'm trying to say here tonight. And in a nutshell, let me just say this, and then I'll spend the rest of the night explaining it. I believe that prayer is primarily just fellowship with God. It's about relationship with God. That's what prayer is at its core. That's what it's intended to be. It is just relationship with God. And even though that sounds really simple, did you know that most people don't use prayer for that? And to prove it, let me just illustrate this. When is it that you pray the most? When your back's against the wall, when you're desperate, when you're in trouble, when you need something. You know what prayer is to most people? As a matter of fact, if you were to go through a bookstore... And if you were to look at books or teaching on prayer, I can guarantee you that the vast majority, 70-80% of all teaching on prayer is how to get your prayers to work. Prayers that avail much. Seven steps to getting your prayers answered. Uh, How to do this and how to get God to move. And all of it is about asking for something. And receiving. And look, that is a part of prayer. The Lord said in the 16th chapter of John, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And so God does want to meet our needs. I'm not saying that that's not a part of prayer. But prayer existed before needs existed. God communicated with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden every single day. And fellowshiped with them. And he was communicating with them. Here's another way of trying to say what I'm saying. If you were to take your prayers and analyze them. And if you were to ascribe, you know, what what is the prayer about? Most people's prayer would be, oh God, I'm I'm so sorry. God, I failed you again. It would be repenting of your sins and asking for forgiveness. Or... It would be asking, oh God, the doctor says I'm going to die. Please heal me. Oh God, I need money. Please help me. Oh God, this relationship is falling apart. I need this job. Would you give me a job? It's all about asking for something. If you were to eliminate those things from prayer, which Adam and Eve never had to pray about a job. They never had to pray for healing. They didn't have to pray to get along with the in-laws. They didn't have to pray over the weather. It was a perfect climate. They never needed any clothes. They didn't need food. Everything was already provided. They didn't have to rebuke any demons. They didn't have to bind anything or lose anything. If you were to take all of that away, then Adam and Eve had nothing to do. There was no reason for them to fellowship with God. And yet they met with God and communed with him and had a relationship with God. Prayer started out to be much more than just gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. My middle name is Moore. Gimme more. There's more to prayer than that. And yet I can guarantee you just by the amount of effort or the time that you put into it, if you were to be honest and objective, The vast majority of people in here pray more when you're in trouble and that's the very reason that you're in trouble is because you don't use prayer as a relationship with God but you use prayer as a way to implore God for something and beg God for things and you don't use prayer to just fellowship and to know God. Most people's desire of prayer is how to get something from God or... If you're really spiritual, and if you are a mature Christian, then you're trying to get something for somebody else. You're an intercessor that doesn't always pray about your needs, but you're trying to help somebody else get their needs met. Again, Adam and Eve, 
didn't have any of those things to do. They didn't have anything to pray for. What if you were on a desert island? I guess you could always pray that God would rescue you and help you get off, but let's say that rescue wasn't even an option. And if you were just on a desert island, would that mean that there's nothing to pray about because there's nobody to cast the devil out of? There's nobody to pray for? There's nobody to get along with? You don't have to worry about work? You don't have to worry about anything? Well, most people, their prayer life would go to nothing because... Most people's prayer life is all about, oh, God, do this, God, do that, and God, do that. Let me say this in love, but you know what that reminds me of? That's like a kid who goes out on their own, leaves home, does their own things, winds up under the bridge because they aren't working, they aren't doing anything, they're irresponsible, they're smoking dope, they're wasting their life away, and then they want to come home and help me. Aren't you a, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you a good parent? Why don't you provide for me? And you come and the only time you use your parent is so that you could get something and that you can go out and do your own thing. And when you get in trouble, then you come back and won't help. All of us hate that in our kids. We think, man, it's all about relationship and all you're doing is using me. You know, I told my kids when they left home, they weren't seeking the Lord. And I said, I love you. You can't do anything to make me not love you. I love you. But I said, the only thing worse than the way you're living is if I subsidize it. I said, I'll never help you serve the devil. I said, if you want to get right with God and if you need some help, I'll help you serve God and do anything I can. But I will not help you serve the devil. Some people think that's terrible, but I think that that's a godly thing. And you know what? In a way, that's the way many of us treat God. The reason you're in financial problems is because you haven't followed God's instructions. You don't honor God with the tithe. When you get in a bind, the first thing you'll cut out is God. You don't keep God first. You aren't seeking first the kingdom of God. You're out there doing your own thing. And maybe you're working hard. Maybe you're working two or three jobs and you're doing everything you can do. But you know what? You aren't trusting God. You aren't following his instructions. But when you get into a bind and when you lose your job, oh God, please help me. That's like the kid that's been out there, run away from home, done everything wrong, and now you come back and you want God to bail you out. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. (laughs) We don't take care of our bodies. We abuse our bodies. We eat junk food, don't exercise, don't do anything. Some, Some health problems aren't just because of our abuse, but something attacks you and it didn't have anything to do with you, but... You've done your own thing. You haven't been meditating in the Word. The Bible says He sent His Word and healed you and delivered you. And the Word is health unto all of your flesh. You've done your own thing. You watch junk on television. You watch it down, wash it down with, with all of this terrible stuff. And then when your body fails, you run back to God. No, God heal me. And if God doesn't heal you, you get mad at it. That's like the kid that's out there doing their own thing and then comes back home. And well, why don't you love me? Why don't you take care of me? I know I'm being real plain, but I'm trying to get across that, you know what, this is the way prayer is to most Christians. Most Christians, it's a vehicle to ask God for something and you want to figure out how you can manipulate God and get more out of God, but you aren't into giving anything. It's not about relationship. And that's the very reason that we have all of these problems. Look at this verse over in uh, Revelation chapter 4. This is describing what's going on in heaven right now. This is the way it is in heaven right now and the way it's always going to be. And it's describing the 24 elders and the four beasts. And every time these four beasts go to praising God, the 24 elders take their crowns and throw them before the Lord. They give all of the recognition and the honor that came to them. They give it back to the Lord and they fall on their face and worship the Lord. And then they get up, put their crowns back on, sit down, and it says that they fall on their face and throw their crowns before the Lord. Every time the four beasts praise God, and look at this, it says um, that the four beasts cease not day and night where is that it says in verse 8 and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty which was and is to come 
And when these beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. And so the beasts are doing this 24 hours a day constantly. They never cease to do it. And since they are always doing it, that means that the 24 elders are just throwing their crowns down before the Lord, falling prostrate, worshiping the Lord, sitting down, putting their crowns on and falling down again. It's just a constant scene of worship and praise. That's what's going on in heaven. And here's what they are saying in verse 11. For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now this is really significant the way that it says it. It says, for your pleasure, everything was and is created. What that's saying is that the original purpose of God in creation has never changed. He created everything, which includes you and me, for his pleasure. God created you for a relationship. He loved you. He loved mankind. He created us for a relationship. And you know, a lot of things have changed since sin came into the world. Some of you, I don't have time to explain this. I hope you'll give me a little grace for saying this. But the church is a reaction to sin. The church is the called out ones. And you know, if there hadn't have been sin, there wouldn't have been any called out ones. We would have all been in relationship with God. And there wouldn't be a need for church as we know it. And yet I believe in church 100%. Church is a godly thing. God's body is a godly thing, but it's actually a result of sin. Originally, there wasn't a church. We were all God's people. And government, he's ordained government. He told us that if you resist the power, you're resisting God. And so governments are godly things, but governments never were intended. Did you know that money is something that God uses and works with? But if every person was still in their sinless state, there wouldn't be any need for money. We'd just all take our gifts and talents and bless others and give, and everybody would give to us, and things would be taken care of. There wouldn't be any money. There are so many things that are essential that we deal with that are a result, a byproduct of the fall. But there's a, there's a few things that existed before the fall. Marriage between a man and a woman existed before sin. God created them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That was something that existed before sin. It's not a reaction to sin. Marriage is one of the few things that existed when man was in a sinless, perfect state. And another thing was that God created us for his pleasure. And he used to fellowship with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening and just visit with them. And he took pleasure out of his relationship with men. And again, I want to remind you that Adam and Eve didn't have anything to pray for. They didn't have any needs. They didn't have anything to repent of. They didn't have a dysfunctional family that had hurt them. That's one of the ways you're going to be able to tell Adam and Eve in heaven from everybody else is because they don't have a belly button. They'll be the only ones there without a belly button. They never had been mistreated. They were never neglected. They never had a problem. The climate was perfect. Everything was perfect. There was no needs. There was nothing to do. What did they visit with God about? You know, I'm reading between the lines, but I believe what they did, they were just thanking him. Thank you, Father, for creating such a beautiful world. Thank you that everything is perfect. I believe they came to him and said, Lord, we saw this animal today that you created. It was absolutely awesome. Man, it was beautiful. I believe they came and said, boy, this duck-billed platypus, it looked like you had a bunch of leftover parts and you just put them all into one, one animal. And they're saying, that was amazing. I've never seen anything. They're talking about the sunrise. Man, it was beautiful. The climate is perfect. These flowers are awesome. They were just visiting. You know what that was? Prayer. They were praying. They were fellowshipping with God. They were talking to him. And here's the point I'm trying to get across. Prayer is for relationship with God. And if we had relationship with God, 
you would find that your need to ask for anything is nearly non-existent. Now, I'm not saying that you don't do it, but it would become minute. It would be a very small part. God created you for fellowship. This is why He created us, was for His pleasure. He loves you, not only what you can do for Him, but He just loves you. And again, religion has muddled the waters and... uh, uh, made it so that it's not clear to people. Most people think that God created us and that He just tolerates us, but He's not passionate about us. Most people do not feel that God really wants to hang out with you and love you and fellowship with you. They feel that He tolerates you. Many people feel that God as Creator felt a responsibility for the mess that the world was in, and so He provided salvation, but He didn't really like you. But you know what? God likes you. God just wants relationship with you. And yes, He wants to supply your needs. And yes, God wants you to be well and He wants you to prosper and He wants you to be happy and joyful. But He wants you more than He wants to give you things. He wants you. He he wants to have relationship with you. He created you to have fellowship with you. That's what prayer is for. And I believe, this is, I'm just pulling this out of the air, but this is my personal opinion that 90% or 95% of prayer ought to be, thank you, Father. I love you, Father. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for another day to serve you. Father, thank you that you are protecting me. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Thank you for my future. Thank you that I'm not afraid about a recession. Thank you that you're my source, regardless of whatever happens. And you just praise God and you fellowship with God. And then asking for something is minute. And you know, I'm not saying that everybody has to do everything the way I'm doing. Like I told you last night, this is not the only way to pray or you're of the devil if you don't pray this way or this is the best way to pray. I'm still in process. I'm still changing. But you know what? Personally, it has been, I couldn't tell you for sure, but I I suspect over a decade, maybe two decades since I have asked God for anything. I really don't ask Him for anything because everything's already been provided in the Lord. If I ever have a sickness or something like that, I don't say, oh God, please heal me. But you know what I do? I start praising Him. Father, thank you that Jesus loved me and by His stripes I was healed. He bore all of my sicknesses and I'll just praise Him for these things and talk about it and then I'll take my authority And I'll say in the name of Jesus, I've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And I not only have the power, but I have the authority to use it. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I speak death to this sickness now in the name of Jesus. And I speak life to my body. And I take my authority and speak to the mountain and talk to the mountain. I'll probably explain that more tomorrow. But again, I don't really ask for anything because if by his stripes I was healed then why do I have to ask him to heal me if he's already healed me? See, I'm in relationship with God and I've come to know God and I fellowship with him and if something comes against me, I thank him that he already loves me. He anticipated what my need was before I ever had it. He created the supply before I ever had the need. Everything that God did, he did through Jesus 2,000 years ago. I was saved 2,000 years ago. I was healed 2,000 years ago. I was loved 2,000 years ago. And God isn't just now healing me and saving me. He already did that. I'm just now receiving what was already purchased. And so when I come to receive salvation, I don't have to say, oh, Jesus, please come and die for me. He's already done it. I just hear the good news and receive it and thank him for it. Everybody see that? So really, there isn't much need to ask God for anything. If you're in relationship with Him, if you're loving Him, and if the love and the joy and the peace of God is flowing in your life, God loves you more than you love yourself. God loves you more than any other person loves you. God's will for you is only good. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God loves you. God has only thoughts of good for you. God's not angry at you. And if you understood that, and if you were in relationship with Him, if God was your best friend, and every day you just thanked Him, Father, thank you for another day to get up. Thank you for living in a free country. 
God, keep this country free. But Father, thank you for the freedom we have. Thank you for what we have. And if you were to just praise him for what you have, then when the doctor tells you you're going to die, instead of falling apart like a $2 suitcase and going to God, no, God, please heal. You know what? If you were in love with the Lord and if you knew him, and if, you, if, if Almighty God was your best friend, then you could take the example of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is even better. And I'm having trouble deciding whether I want to go to be with Christ, which is better, or if I'm going to stay here. And he says, I'm, for your sake, I'm going to stay here so that I can continue to minister to you. See, if you were in relationship with God like that, and if you knew God as intimately as the Apostle Paul did, when the doctor told you you're going to die, it'd be all you could do to keep from reaching up and just kissing him. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is awesome. You know what? Maybe I'll get to go see Jesus and... Or either I'll be healed. Either way, I'm going to rub the devil's nose in it and God's going to be glorified and you would just be rejoicing regardless of what happens. But because we aren't in relationship with God and we aren't fellowshipping with God and we aren't enjoying Him, then when problems come, we don't have a spiritual perception. We are holding this life too dear We are carnally minded. We aren't eternally minded. We aren't recognizing that all of us are going to die someday or another and we're holding on to this and and we are just operating in fear because we don't know him. Perfect love will cast out fear. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. He that fears has not been made perfect in love. If you're afraid to die, if you're afraid of losing your job, if you're afraid you're going to lose your marriage, if you're afraid you won't have the retirement, if you're afraid of things, you aren't walking in the love that God has available to us. Perfect love would cast out fear. And it ultimately goes back to our relationship with God is built around getting a need met. Or if you're spiritual, getting somebody else's need met. Going out and doing something for God. And what that does, it just, it doesn't build a healthy relationship. You're like the teenager that comes home and wants to get your needs met, but you don't want relationships with your parents. You don't honor them. You don't love them. You don't minister to them. It's all taking You're just like a vacuum cleaner, sucking everything out of God that you can get, but giving nothing back. That's not love. That's not relationship. Prayer ought to be primarily blessing God, loving God. That's what Adam and Eve did. Father, thank you for a beautiful sunrise. Oh God, it's a wonderful day. Thank you that I'm alive. Thank you for creating such a world. Thank you for your goodness. Man, we've got so much to praise God for. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit and not leaving us alone. And if you were just worshiping God and praising God, you'd find out that, man, when problems come, it's just no big deal because you know God Almighty and and it's no big deal. It just doesn't bother you. That usually goes over about like that. Some of you are thinking, you can't live this way. Well, don't wake me up. Like I said, it has been a decade or two decades since I've asked for anything. You know, we have to have, a, a, what, a $1.3, $1.5 million a month, and I give my materials away. Go figure. I don't push and pull and manipulate people for money the way some others do. And yet I never lose sleep over finances. I don't ask God for money because I know that God loves me and I know that I'm doing what God told me to do and it would be unjust on God's part to want me to pay for what He told me to do. So I just make sure that what I'm doing is what He told me to do and then it's His fault. It's His problem. He's going to be up all night anyway. I just let Him think about it, amen, and I go to sleep. I don't even worry about it. You know, what does that amount to? I have to have three or $4,000 24 hours a day. That's a lot of money. And yet I never worry about it and I don't ever ask God for money. And you know what? If we do get behind, if we get in a need, you can ask my staff. You know what we do? We'll give something away because God's word has already taught me and in fellowship and relationship with God, he's told me that, man, the way 
to, the way to increase is to give. When we get into a financial bind, I'll send you a free CD. I'll just send it to people and I don't badger them for money. I'll just send it and bless them. And you know what? It's just like clockwork. It'll produce. You sow your seed and it'll produce. It's simple. It's an easy way to live. I don't beg God for money. I don't, I don't beg him for things. God has already blessed us with everything that there is. And I'm, what I'm trying to get across is that the primary use of prayer is just to love God and to bless Him. And if you would change so that you use prayer to get your needs met and to come in and just draw from God and instead you would start giving and blessing God, I can promise you this, God will never, ever, ever let you outgive Him. If you start blessing Him, He's going to bless you. He is going to pour it on. You will have more blessing, more joy, more peace, more prosperity, more health than you have ever had coming and trying to get God to do something. The Bible says that in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. And yet most Christians, it's not like that. It's not like the blessings are running you down. Most Christians are coming to a meeting like this with their tongue hanging out. I came here to get a blessing. Man, you've been, you're out of breath. You've been chasing the blessing of God. And so here's another place that maybe God could bless you. Instead of you having to chase the blessings of God, they'll chase you down. They'll overtake you when you get to where you are fellowshipping with God. This is what God created you for, for relationship with Him. Religion is, you know, we've got these songs. I don't know if y'all ever sang this, but in the church I was raised in, we used to sing this song about I was born to serve the Lord. My eyes were made to read the word. My feet were made to walk in his way. My hands were made to help somebody else. I was born to serve the Lord. And again, there's a partial truth to that, but you know what comes across often is that God wants to use you. And the only way you can really show any love and devotion to the Lord is do something. Do something. And we put all the emphasis on doing. We are human doings instead of human beings. And in the church, the church has taken this and amplified on it to the point that people are literally going out and offering God service and doing this and doing this and doing this, but they aren't giving God themselves. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel like, well, God doesn't want me just to say thank you and Father, I love you. He wants me to do something. I actually was at a conference one time where the speaker got up and said that the only reason you're alive on this earth is because God has something for you to do. If God just wanted to bless you, he'd take you to heaven. He left you here so you can do something. And this man made this statement. He said, the sole purpose for your existence is to touch another person's life and to lead somebody to the Lord. And I understood the point he was trying to make. And we do have a responsibility to share our faith with other people. But you know, when he said that, boy, God just spoke to me loud and clear. And he said, so what was Adam and Eve's purpose for their existence? They didn't have anybody to lead to the Lord. They didn't have any demons to cast out. They didn't have any tracks to pass out. There was nobody else to witness to. You know, if you use that logic, which is very prominent today, and some people think, I got to do something for God. No, God, please use me. Please use me. Please use me. God would rather have you than he'd rather have your service. And I'll give you a hint that if God ever gets you, he'll get your service. He'll get your pocketbook. He'll get everything. If you ever give yourself to God, then everything you are and everything that you have will follow as a byproduct. But there's a lot of people that are offering, God, I'm going to work in church, I'm going to do this. But they aren't giving God themselves. And they think that, you know, I'm praying and I'm binding and I'm praying for a revival and I'm praying for this person to receive this. And that's the way that most people relate to God. And God just wants to fellowship with you more than he wants what you can do for him. God loves you. And I know that there's many of you tonight thinking... I don't understand why God would want to hang out with me and just want to fellowship with me. I don't even like myself. But God sees you differently than you see yourself, especially if you're born again. 
in your spirit. You are now identical to Jesus. You have all of His power. And God wants to inhabit you and inhabit your praises. God wants to hang out with you. And this ought to be the whole purpose of our Christian life is just to glorify God and to bless Him. And that's what prayer ought to be. 90 or 95% of all prayer ought to be, Father, thank you for how much you love me. Thank you for sending Jesus. Somebody's listening to me and saying, well, I don't have much to thank God for. You know what? Spirit of slap just wants to come all over me when I hear something like that. It's a good thing I'm not God. Man. Well, you don't know my problems. Well, you don't know your God. Man, you don't understand that God came from heaven and died for you. He sent the Holy Spirit for you. God has made every provision that you ever need. Brothers and sisters, you got nothing to be complaining about. I don't care if you are one foot in the grave, if the creditors are after you, God loves you. Nothing else matters. Man, if I die, I'm going to go spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. If I win, I win. If I lose, I win. You ought to praise God for that. But you don't understand I'm poor and I'm just barely getting by. Well, in heaven, you're going to live in a mansion that has streets of gold. Man, it only took the Lord seven days to create all the heavens and the earth. And he's been in heaven preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. Amen. I guarantee you heaven's going to be awesome. You ought to praise God. Even if you don't see prosperity here, you ought to praise God for what you've got in heaven. Well, this person said this about me and this person, I just got a divorce. How could I be rejoicing? Well, praise God that in heaven there isn't marriage. Amen. They don't marry nor are given marriage. Praise God that it was only temporary. And praise God that he's never going to divorce you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You ought to be praising God. Thank you, Father that you aren't giving me what I deserve. You can be rejoicing right in the midst of divorce. I guarantee you, I don't care what has come against you, you got a reason to be praising God. And if you would enter in and just praise God and love Him and praise God for how good it is, it could be worse. Some of you think, oh, you don't know me. It couldn't get any worse. Oh, yeah, it could. If I was God, you'd be a pile of ashes. You ought to be praising God. That he's not giving you what you deserve. It could be worse. You ought to be praising God that things are as good as they are. You know, I was preaching along these lines at one of our ministers' conference, and a good friend of mine, Bob Nichols, was on the front row. And it's a long story, but his daughter, Janet, had a car wreck and had a head injury and started having seizures and then uh, had a, um, what was it? A, uh, she went into a coma. And the doctors told him that she was brain dead. And Jamie and I were there two weeks after this happened. And the do- we were there when the doctor walked in and said, Pastor Nichols, your daughter is dead. You need to take her off of the machines. And I've never seen a person look as bad as Janet and still be alive. She didn't look human. It was pitiful. And Pastor Bob just, oh, we understand. You're doing the best you can. But you know what? We've got a word from God. She'll be just fine. And he just stood there and he refused to take her off the machines. Anyway, now it's been now 12 years. She's still alive. She's off all of the machines. She's home. She's not normal. She doesn't, she'll say a few words every once in a while, but she's still in process. She's up walking. The doctors say that there is no brain activity. She's dead and yet she'll look at you and she'll say a few words every once in a while and you know what? It's not a good situation, but it's a miracle that she's as good as she is. And, but they've, they've had 24-hour nurse care in their home for 12 years. 24 hours a day. A lot of people would be singing the blues and talking about how bad it was. And you know what? I was preaching along these lines saying, you ought to be praising God that it's as good as it is. And Pastor Bob just stood up, threw his Bible on the floor, and he says, I've had all of this. I can stand. He says, I can't stand it anymore. And he just started praising God. Thank you, God, that you're such a good God. And here's a man who many people would just find as a total excuse to gripe and complain and to be discouraged and depressed. And the man just can't help it. He just has to stand up and start worshiping God. Many of you were there, saw him do that. 
I tell you what, we don't have anything to gripe about. If you knew God, just the fact that God Almighty, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, He's got a universe to run. There's billions of people on this planet who are all asking Him for something and complaining and griping at Him and telling Him He's doing it all wrong. People telling Him He doesn't even exist. And there's just all of this stuff going on. Six billion people plus all the angels and the people that have already lived and keeping all the planets in line. And, just, you know, I'm sure he's busy. And yet, God Almighty hears every word that you say. And when you say, I love you, he'll be right there. Like he, you have his full attention, like you're the only person that exists. He loves you. He's fellowshipping with you. God Almighty loves you and you don't have anything to praise God about. Nothing else really matters. If you just understood that God loves you, that ought to be enough to put a shout in a statue. That ought to be enough to get anybody to say, man, it's awesome. God Almighty loves me. Well, but my wife or my husband divorced me. They don't love me. Well, with respect. Who gives a rip? (laughs) Who's your wife or your husband compared to God? Some of you, I can't believe that. You just shouldn't, you should be miserable if your wife, you know what? What that is, that's being codependent upon people. You know, I love my wife and I praise God that we've got a good marriage, but you know what? If my wife didn't love me, I'd still revel in the fact that God Almighty loves me. I could still rejoice. If you can't do that, you don't know God. You don't know how much God loves you. What I'm trying to say is, brothers and sisters, this is what God made us for. And if you would use prayer to fellowship with God and to just love Him and enter into a relationship, everything else comes out of relationship. If you were in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. It says in Psalms 16 verse 11, In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you were in the presence of the Lord, which God is always present with you, but you aren't always present with Him. You don't always have your mind stayed on Him and you aren't worshiping Him. And if you would just stay your mind on the Lord, Isaiah 26, 3, He would keep you in perfect peace. There would never, never, never be discouragement. I told somebody tonight, it's been 41 years since I have been discouraged. I haven't been discouraged in 41 years, and I've had a lot of discouraging things happen. I haven't been depressed in in 41 years, and I've had a lot of depressing things happen. But you know what? I've got a relationship with God. I'm in the presence of the Lord, and in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. If you're depressed and discouraged, you are not in the presence of the Lord. You are not loving and fellowshipping with God and thinking about what He's done. Somebody said, oh, but you don't understand. I got a chemical imbalance. No, you aren't in the presence of the Lord. It didn't say in the presence of the Lord, except for those who have a chemical imbalance. There is a place. I'm telling you, brother, so we've got a million and one excuses, but the bottom line is if you were in relationship with God, who cares about anything else? You know, I had this experience with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968, and basically the bottom line is God showed me He loved me. I was caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months, and I just knew that God loved me. I didn't know why God loved me. I didn't love myself. I wasn't lovely, but God loved me, and it changed my life. I immediately became a stark, raving, mad fanatic. I witnessed to everything that moved. People have these seminars, and they try and teach you and motivate you and condemn you and sing these songs about, will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening at last I lay down? Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet Him. Must I empty-handed go? And we sing those and the altars fill because people are thinking about, oh, I'm going to stand before everybody and I'm going to be embarrassed. I don't have it. You know what that is? That's self-love. It's you are worried about yourself. What are people going to think of me? And we use selfish motivation to condemn and manipulate people. All we'd have to do is if you ever 
get a revelation of how much God loves you, nobody will ever have to tell you to witness and share with somebody else. Man, the love of God will constrain you and compel you. It's like a little kid. You don't have to tell your kids. Now, go out and tell all of your friends how wonderful your dad was to give you this nice gift. And go out and tell them that your gift is more expensive than their gift and make them feel bad. And tell them how wonderful things are with you. No, you don't have to do that. You have to do just the opposite and say, don't go out and make everybody else feel bad because you got the best bike on the block. If you knew what God had done for you, if you really knew how much God loved you, nobody would ever have to tell you to witness and you wouldn't be afraid of people's rejection because you already have the approval of God Almighty. You'd reach, if you had relationship with God, what people think about you would be a non-issue. I'm not saying you'd like it. Something's wrong with you if you like people disliking you. But you'd be to a place to where, who are you? God Almighty loves me. Who cares if you don't like me? I had a man come up to me one time, just start reading me the riot act. And I just stopped him and I said, wait a minute. Who died and made you God? And he said, What? And I said, you know what? I'm saying this. I respect you to a degree, but compared to God, God loves me and I just really don't care what you think about me. I don't care. Amen. Doesn't matter to me what you think about me. If you come up here and spit in my face, I've had that happen before. I won't like it, but you know what? It's not going to keep me up tonight. God loves me. If you don't love me, it's your problem. You know what I'm saying right here is as rare as hen's teeth. <laughs> There's a lot of you that say, I can't believe this. You know why? Because you don't have the love of God. You've never really understood how much God loves you. But God loves you. And if you understood that, it just puts you in a bubble. And you know, when I had this experience, right after... I had this experience in 1968. I was drafted in 1969 and I went to Vietnam. But I was so in love with the Lord and I knew that God loved me that honestly it's just like it was water off a duck's back. I wasn't even aware of what was going on. I was caught up in God and it just gave me an immunity against stuff. I remember when my kids were 21 years old and I thought about if they got drafted and put in Vietnam where people are shooting at you and trying to kill you and I just tried to imagine how they'd make it and I thought, God, it is an absolute miracle because I was in, I was in the midst of things. I should have been killed multiple times in one day. And you know what? There is zero fear. As a matter of fact, I was praying that I could die. I was wanting to die. I was wanting to go to be with Jesus. And I remember that we were put on a fire support base and we had an area that was half the size of this room. And there was 120 guys huddled there. And we were under attack 40 miles from the nearest U.S. emplacement. And in an area half the size of this room, we took 170 direct mortar hits within a few hours. We were under severe attack. You could see the muzzle fire from the weapons as they came up the hill. And you know what? I had my M16 pointed down the hill and they were too far away for me to fire but I was looking down the barrel of my gun waiting on somebody to come into range. And you know what was going on in my mind? This is God's truth. I was sitting there thinking, oh God, this could be the day I get to meet you. I could get to go to be with you today. And I was so excited thinking about that. And I was praying for the Vietnamese. I said, God, these people don't know you. Oh God, have mercy on them. God, reveal yourself to them. And I was interceding for the people that I was about to kill. I never had to shoot them, praise God. But you know, I would have. I'm not saying, I would have shot if they'd have got in range. But I'm saying, that's what I was thinking. And did you know, 20 years after the fact, I was here in Chicago. And a man came and gave me a book that had 12 testimonies from Vietnam in there. And, he, and his testimony was one of them. And it was written up by the New York Times as being the best um, testimonial about Vietnam of anything and it won a bestseller book. And so anyway, he had his testimony in it and he wanted me to read it. And I've never been interested in reading anything about Vietnam, but he had signed this book 
and wanted me to read it. And I knew the next night he had asked me. So I went to my hotel room and I read his story. And it was powerful. And so I got interested and I read the next one. And I wound up reading all 12 of these stories. I read that whole book. Three of those people were in the same division that I was in. Two of them were there while I was there. And I believe one of them was on that fire support base that was under attack. You know, he didn't give specifics, but it sounded exactly like what I was under. And he was reporting it from an unbeliever's standpoint and talking about the fear. And he described it so vividly that here I was 20 years after being in Vietnam reading a testimony about what I went through and fear hit me. And it took me a day or two to pray that fear off of me. And it just dawned on me that, man, I didn't even realize what was going on. But I was just so in love with the Lord. It was like, man, it's all I could do to keep from jumping up and asking him to shoot me. I had zero fear. And you know what caused all of that? I was just in love with God. And I knew that God loved me. And I'm telling you, this is my personal testimony, that when you get in love with God and he's first and foremost in your life, nothing else matters. It just really doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. This is exactly what you see in the Bible. Peter, I mean, uh, Paul and Silas were thrown in the Philippian jail, beaten, their backs were raw. And in the 16th chapter of Acts, they were put in the Philippian jail. And they started singing and praising God at midnight. They were in the dungeon. There was no light in there. They had disease. I'm sure they had rats and things like that. It was a terrible situation. Their backs were hurting and their feet and their hands were in the stocks. And yet they started singing and worshiping the Lord. Now there's some people who would sing because they know it's a weapon against the devil. And so they sing in anger because, praise God, because they're doing it to fight the devil. But the moment that they would have got delivered, they'd have been gone because they weren't really praising God. They were just doing it to get what they want. But here's the amazing thing. Paul and Silas got to singing and worshiping the Lord at midnight and glorifying God. God got to patting his foot and an earthquake happened and it set all of the prisoners free. Their chains fell off. Their doors opened up. And the amazing thing is that when they got free, they didn't leave and they didn't quit singing. Here's a novel thought. They weren't praising God in order to get something. They were actually praising God. They actually loved God. And even when they were set free, it didn't matter. They were just as happy in prison as they were before. Most of us don't know that. Most of us go through so much religious stuff in order to squeeze something out of God. We go through the motions of praising God, even reading the Bible, but it's in order to appease an angry God, not because we really love Him and we want to understand how much He loves us. So much of what we do is with a wrong motivation. So much of our prayer isn't sincere. It's just manipulation and trying to get God to do something and we wonder why it's not working better. Paul and Silas actually loved God. And they were singing not because they wanted to get free. When they got free, they didn't leave. They were just as happy in the stocks. They were just as happy in the dungeon as they were outside. I took a pastor over to uh, Romania. And we were there just two months after the Ro- after Ceausescu was overthrown. And, and uh I was the very first person to ever minister in a communist cultural hall in Romania. They had pictures of Marx and Lenin that were four stories high still beside us. And across Marx and Lenin's face, they had evangelist Andrew Womack plastered over their face. I was the first American to ever be in there. And we desecrated Marx and Lenin's pictures and stuff. And it was an exciting time. And anyway, I preached in there. And we saw some good things happen. But one of these preachers that was with me, we were with a couple who had been imprisoned, been beaten. Their electricity was turned off. They went through a winter with ice an inch thick on their ceiling, walls, and floor. Their daughter was beaten because she was a Christian by the Communist Cultural Party's uh, daughter. 
and they were just treated terrible. And they, we brought them two sausages that were about this long and two deals of cheese. And that was a year's supply of cheese and meat for them. They broke down and cried. They ate lard spread on bread. Sometimes they'd fry it. Sometimes they'd just eat it raw. But pig lard on bread three times a day. And that was their meal. They knew problems and suffering the way that most Americans have never thought of. And now that Ceausescu was dead and they didn't have a government yet, this pastor that was with me, boy, we need to teach them the word. We need to get them in there and start showing them how to get in and participate and do this. And he was talking about all of the physical things. And I just stopped him in his tracks and I said, these people are happier than you have ever been in your life. That woman who we were, they, they smuggled Bibles in for us. And I asked her, I said, why didn't you ever take any of these opportunities to escape Romania when it was under communist control? You had lots of people who would have sponsored you. Why didn't you leave? And she says, you Americans, you think that we have to have food and we have to have heat and we have to have clothes and things like this to be happy. She says, I am so happy right where I am. Why would I want to go anywhere else? Who would minister to the Romanians if we left? She says, man, I'm happy in the Lord. And I just stopped that pastor. I said, you know, just leave them alone. Don't try and make Americans out of them that now they've got to improve their standard of living and become external. They were happier in those bad situations than most of us have ever been. You know why? Because of a relationship with the Lord. In the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul told, the, Paul told Timothy, he says... Those of you who are in bondage to a slave owner. He was talking to slaves. He says, stay there and glorify God. Did you know many people today would just scream and yell, no, this is unjust injustice. How dare you do that? This wasn't God approving of slavery. God never created slavery, but you know what? It doesn't matter if you're slave or if you're free. And I know that this is offensive to a lot of people because we are so external. But I can guarantee you there are slaves back in the 1800s that were happier than many of their descendants are today because they had a relationship with God that goes far beyond their great-great-great-grandchildren today. And their great-grandchildren have advantages in every way and many of them are miserable and sick and diseased and doing dope and drugs and everything else. It's not your outside circumstances It's not the pressure without, it's the vacuum within that is causing people to crumble. When I was in the sixth grade, our teacher heated a a metal gas can, a one-gallon gas can, and heated it on a Brunson burner and got it real hot and then screwed the lid on it and put it on the desk right in front of me. I was on the front row and he put it there and then he just went on and started teaching. And you know what? It amazed us because what happens is when you heat it, hot air expands. And so all of this air in there was expanded. As it cooled, the air condensed. It formed a partial vacuum. And without anybody touching that gas can, I was sitting just a few feet away from it and I watched this thing begin to just crumble like somebody was beating it. And it fell, it it actually bent in two, fell on the floor and it was just like somebody had a hammer hitting that thing and it was just crushed under the atmospheric pressure. And it made an impression on me. I've never forgotten. You know, the Lord spoke to me and he says, that's what the problem is today. Everybody's talking about the pressures we have today. The pressure we have today in this world is no different than it was a thousand years ago under Roman rule or under... Matter of fact, we got it better than most people. It's not the pressure without. It's the fact that we have a vacuum within that is causing you to crumble under pressure. People say, well, kids have so much more pressure on them today. They have so much... Oh, I mean, it's really bad because their friends all have the the shoes that light up when they walk and they don't have them. And I mean, that just is a justification for them being a rapist and murderer. All of their friends have designer jeans. That's not pressure. You know what pressure is? We got a friend over in uh, England. It's Bob Barker. I'm going to get this right this time. Bob Barker, a friend of ours in England, he was evacuated during World War II and they took all of the children under a certain age and took them out of the cities and put them out in the fields. And for how long was it that he was there? 
Wasn't it a year or more? or uh, One or two years, Bob lived with a hundred other kids in tents out in the field, and adults would come supervise them every once in a while, but they just threw all these kids together out of desperation. You know what that is? That's pressure. But not having the latest designer jeans. You haven't got the latest PlayStation 3, and so you've just been abused. and pre- Pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. That's not pressure. The only reason it's pressure is because our children are so shallow today and they think that these other things are important. What I'm trying to say is, brother, if you fall in love with the Lord, if God loves you, which he does, every one of you, I don't care what you've done. You may feel he doesn't, but I'm telling you in the name of the Lord, God loves you. And if you got a revelation of how much God loved you, it wouldn't matter If you lived in a million-dollar home, it wouldn't matter if you drove the nicest car. It wouldn't matter if everybody fell at your feet every time you walked into the room. It wouldn't matter what was going on. If God loves you, nothing else counts. And if you truly understood that, then instead of using 95% of your prayer life to beg and plead with God and gripe and complain, you'd go in and just start loving Him and thanking Him. And once you do that... It just puts you in a bubble, just like I was in Vietnam. People could be shooting at you, and it's no big deal. If you die, you get to go to be with Jesus. That's what we sing. We sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. Oh, what a day that's going to be. What a glorious day. And then the doctor tells you you're going, and you cry. If you really believe this, it'd get to a place to where who cares? I'm believing God. You know what? I'm, and as you start walking in joy, the Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. You know, people put so much emphasis on what you eat and exercise, which that's a part of the equation. And this is just andeology. I hadn't got a scripture to show you. But I believe that eating right and exercising right is 10 or 20% of your health. You know what 80 to 90% of it is? honoring your parents and you'll live long on this life. A merry heart does good like a medicine. Cast all of your care upon the Lord for he cares for you. He'll keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on him. These spiritual, emotional things are 10 times more important than your exercise and your diet. We become humanist, even in the church, to where we're looking for an organic reason for everything and trying to figure things out. I'm telling you that it's life is found in the Lord. In Him we live and move and have our being. And if you were in the presence of the Lord, you would be prosperous and you would be succeeding and you'd be healthy. But when you're depressed, the Bible says a brokenness is, uh, what was, I forgot exactly the exact term in it, but it's the rottenness of the bones. People have osteoporosis and other bone disease and they're wearing away. You know, one of the reasons, because of sorrow and grief. Medical profession will even tell you that that, uh, it depresses your immune system and it hurts you. I'm telling you, if we just had, if we were in the presence of the Lord, there was fullness of joy at His right hand, our pleasures forevermore. And if you were to just be rejoicing and taking advantage of what you've got, you'd be healthier, you'd be wealthier. People like you more when you're happy than when you're griping and complaining in a pain. Amen. Everything would work better. And the good news is God does love us more than you've ever realized It's just us who have perverted prayer to where it is something that we use as a pry bar on God to get leverage. In the name of Jesus, do this and do that. You come back when you get in trouble and want Him to bail you out, but you don't ever fellowship with Him and just love Him for who He is. You know, Jamie cut out a cartoon on Family Circus and it's a little kid praying. And then it shows what's going on in heaven. And this little kid said, Father, I don't want anything. I just want to thank you for a wonderful family and a beautiful day. And in heaven, the angels are ringing bells and saying, stop the presses. Somebody's just thanking God. They aren't asking for anything. And all of heaven is rejoicing and jumping up and down. There's not very many people that just worship him because he's worthy to be worshiped. 
We worship Him to get something. It's like the kid going in and say, Oh, Mom, Dad, I really love you. And you say, What do you want? Because the only time they tell you they love you is because they're buttering you up trying to get something. Brothers and sisters, that's the way many of us do with God. We only give Him lip service just enough to feel like we pacify Him so that He'll get our, grant our request. You need to just get to a place to where it's not about what God can do for you, but about you just start loving God. And if you would start worshiping God like that, I believe you could develop to a place to where you would get, you become addicted to loving God like that. And I don't know how to explain this, but when you start giving to God and loving Him, He inhabits the praises of His people, Psalms chapter 22. And when you do that, the anointing of God comes on you. Somehow when you give to God, you get blessed. The anointing of God will come on you. Joy and peace will come into your life. And you will just get to where you're so happy. And faith works by love. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. Once you understand how much God loves you, your faith will go through the roof. And you'll be able to raise the dead and open blind eyes and do things. And it's not an effort and you don't struggle with it. And the whole Christian life is meant to flow out of relationship with God. And instead, most people use prayer just to try and get something from God. And that's the very reason that it's not productive. This isn't everything that there is to prayer. But I'm telling you, this is something that is radically different from most people. What I've said tonight is so simple, you have to have somebody to help you misunderstand it. Some of you think, oh, it's, it's got to be more than this. I just challenge you to go in and just start loving God and just start thanking Him. Thank Him for a beautiful sunrise. Thank Him that you're alive. Thank Him that things are as good as they are. You know, the price that you pay for ingratitude is depression. That's the price that you pay. If you're depressed, you are not a grateful person. It's not what's happened to you. It's not your hormones. It's ingratitude. If you'd start thanking God that things are as good as they are, I guarantee you, you would find out that everything would begin to start working better. You'd be delivered of depression. It's true. So I challenge you tonight to start using prayer to just bless God, to love God. Father, I don't want anything. I just love you. Now, there is a place to ask, but it's not the main place. Father, I just love you. I want to thank you. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for loving me. If you would begin to do that, faith would rise in your heart. Anointing would rise in your heart. Joy and peace would rise. Love would abound. Faith would begin to work. Everything in your life would work better. Your whole outlook on life would change. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is important what I've said tonight. And it's so simple, some people will miss it, but it's profound. I encourage you. And somebody said, well, would you please pray for me? That God would, would love me. No, I won't, because He does love you. The problem isn't with God. The problem isn't that God hadn't loved you. The problem is that we're so occupied with everything else and our mind is on a million other things that we aren't focused on how much God loves us. If you don't feel the love of God, it's not God who's not giving, it's you who's not receiving. So you know what you need to do? You just need to prime the pump and start saying, Father, I don't feel it, but you know what? I know based on the word that you love me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for this. And just start speaking it and start doing it. And I guarantee you, you will experience the love of God. That's the way it works. Quit complaining. Quit. You ought to go on a fast for 24 hours, not from food, but from asking and begging and griping. Just make a decision. God, I'm not going to gripe about anything. I'm going to praise you for 24 hours. Certainly God has done enough that you could at least devote 24 hours to just being thankful and praising God. If you would do that, I believe you'd be so blessed after 24 hours that you'd probably never go back to the old way. Amen, Amen or oh me. Amen. Praise God. Again, let me ask tonight, you know, if there's anybody here who's not born again, maybe the way I've described a relationship with the Lord, this is different 
And tonight you say, well, boy, if God loves me that much, I want to receive Him as my Savior. If you've never done that, you need to be born again tonight. And then once you get born again, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I could spend an hour right now. I'm not going to do it, but I could spend an hour telling you that the Holy Spirit is who glorifies Jesus. He energizes our prayers. He's, his purpose is to glorify Jesus. So if you start trying to glorify Jesus and you do it in yourself, you'll just come up short every time. You need the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can truly worship God in spirit and in truth. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you speak in tongues, the Bible says you are giving thanks well. You are bypassing all of the confusion and the doubt and the strange things that are in your brain. And you're just talking from your spirit directly to God. I tell you, speaking in tongues is just like opening up a valve and letting out the power of God. It is super, super important. If you don't have that, you need it. I can guarantee you. And many of you may say, well, I hadn't been taught that... I've been taught against speaking in tongues. Well, I'm telling you that speaking in tongues is a part of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you've received anything I've said tonight, it all came because I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. That's how God did this for me. If you like the fruit, you're going to have to accept the root that produced it. I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues is an important part of it. Is there anybody here tonight that would say, I either need to be born again and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues? Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you and help you to receive. Anybody? 